Well, hi, friends, and welcome to Consortio Day. This is a podcast about partnering with God to do sacred work. My name is John Chandler, and I'm a spiritual director, and this podcast kind of lives alongside my spiritual direction practice. And so if you're finding these conversations interesting, um, you might find some other things interesting that I'm a part of. I would love to talk with you about spiritual direction if you are interested in that kind of thing and, and looking for some way to discern and pay attention to how God is forming you, what God might be calling to you to. Uh, I would love to ha- have a conversation with you about spiritual direction, or also, I also offer some cohorts around spiritual direct or spiritual practices. Uh, I'm currently gathering interest both for an examine and a Sabbath cohort, and so um, I'd love to talk with you about any of those. You can find information about all that on consortioday.com, which is linked from the description from this podcast. You can also sign up there for my email list to hear more about other things that are coming up, other podcast interviews, or some other cohorts I'm developing for the future. So, all that said, um, Another thing, if you appreciate this podcast, I would welcome your reviews on iTunes. I'm still, in many ways, getting this podcast up and running and uh, would help, would love your help just getting the word out and podcast in, uh, podcast reviews on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen are always really helpful for that. Enough about that. Let's get into our conversation for today. This is one um, I've been looking forward to for a long time just because my guest today is a good friend of mine. His name is Jeff Holsclaw. And Jeff is the co-host of the Embodied Faith podcast, and I love how he described it. He says it's a podcast which seeks a neuroscience-informed spiritual formation. And that's what I love about Jeff, as you'll hear in this interview, is he just geeks out about the science of neurology, what's happening in our brains as we're learning and as we're growing, and it's incredibly relevant to spiritual formation. And so while I wanted to have him on this podcast because he's a friend— uh, I really wanted to have him on this podcast because if you're not familiar with the conversations he's having already on his podcast, I wanted to introduce you to those. So here we are in my conversation with Jeff Holsclaw. All right. Well, Jeff, enough of the <laughs> enough of the things that we've been talking Thanks about. Thanks for taking time out of your day to be on this podcast with me, John. <laughs> no, this is my podcast. Oh, oh. This isn't your oh, podcast. Right, right. <laughs> Got it. Jeff, it is, it's fun to be together, um, as always, even though our times to be together are few and far between these days. But I knew it'd be fun to have you on here because I love some of the stuff that you're up to. So that said, that's a little tease. But before that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about the sacred work that you do, as I like to say. Yeah. Well, it has been a little while, long while since we've been in person uh, through our networks and whatnot. So, uh, my context, I am in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, I've been uh, pastoring at a vineyard church. Before that, I was in uh, Chicago for about 15 years for a long time. Well, I was there for a long time, but I was pastoring for about 15 years or more at a little church called Life on the Vine. Uh, And then my context also is I'm a theology professor at Northern Seminary Associate um, or what? Oh, affiliate. Not associate. Affiliate. I wish uh, affiliate is you know it's basically just a supercharged adjunct, and so I've been continuing that even though I moved to Grand Rapids. Uh, those are like my official capacities. Otherwise, I'm all things theology and neuroscience nerd, and uh, just trying to yeah create resources that kind of help people. And I partner with my wife Sid 
uh, quite a bit in those different things. Uh, so like our, the current context of my work has shifted just in the last couple months. Yeah. Uh, we reduced our role at um, our church uh, to about 20% time from a full-time position. Uh, and so now uh, Sid and I are just doing kind of other kind of broader equipping and resourcing for the church um, all throughout, which is pretty fun, a little uh, nerve wracking, but uh, so now I get to be like full-time nerd and podcaster like yourself and pursue other kind of resourcing uh, events. Or yeah. Well, let, I mean, let's clarify. I am far from a full-time podcaster. I don't know if that's what you're trying to say, but podcaster. Sure. Sure. But talk talk about those things a little bit because I think, especially on your podcast, the conversations you're having I find to be really interesting and really important. And so, just talk a little bit about what the topics like. What's the niche of your podcast, and how do you get interested in that? Yeah. So the topic or our the title is embodied faith. Um, and it explores the intersection of neuroscience and spiritual formation. Uh, and so I got into that um, about 15 years ago. My wife was getting some training um, about like how do we re- relate and connect as people and how do you connect with God? And they were really pulling yeah. from this guy named Jim Wilder and some others um, whom you probably heard of and I've interviewed you on the podcast. But he, you know, he was basically saying, things like your spiritual growth can't exceed your relational capacity. And at some point your spiritual growth will kind of like plateau. And the, the, the way to move forward isn't necessarily doubling down on all your spiritual practices. Uh, but actually it's just to kind of grow your capacities and competencies uh, relationally, which is contact, you know, connecting with your body, learning when your brain is, you know, functioning well to connect with people and when it kind of shuts down. And uh, yeah, so yeah. he was learning from uh, a lot of different uh, neuroscientists like Alan Shore and Dan Siegel. So someone like um, Kurt Thompson now is doing a lot of this kind of sure. similar work. So I was, you know, pulling from him. So my wife comes home at one point and is like, did you know that like, you know, there's these things that, you know, we could call relational circuits and when they're on in your brain, then it's easy to connect with people. And when they're not on, then you basically treat them like they're enemies or you want to avoid them and fight or flight, all these different kind of words that, you know, I think are a lot more in the the mainstream now, but this is before like the trauma informed kind of perspective was out, you know, and so that wasn't really there. Right. So, you know, and me being a nerd, you being a nerd, me being a nerd, left brain nerd, I was kind of like, Oh, so there's like parts of my brain that like will help me connect relationally. Like, you know, there's science that says emotions are important, you know? <laughs> so, so that's kind of how I got into it. Cause I needed to like connect with my emotional, you know, life more. So that, that started a journey about 15 years ago, um, where I started, um, just kind of integrating like, yeah, how do our physical bodies relate to our spiritual lives? Uh, and part of that kind of started flowing into how I structure like my theology lectures. And then Sid and I ended up writing a book called does God really like me that kind of came out of this understanding of joy and shame and how does God's presence and the joyfulness that is created there, um, kind of help us understand the whole biblical story. Uh, and then how does that overcome shame and uh, you know, disconnection? So, so that book came out just before global pandemic, not great marketing right. timing on my <laughs> part, I guess. But uh, yeah, so that's, you know, that came out what 2020. 
So, and about a couple of years before that, I've been, so about five years, I've been taking a really, really deep dive in all yeah. this stuff, neuroscience, and it's been a lot of fun. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because I remember, I think it was right after I read Kurt Thompson as part of the spiritual formation or spiritual direction training I was With doing. Anatomy of the Soul or his other one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd already read The Soul of Shame. But then I read Anatomy of the Soul, and I just thought this this matches up so much with some of the stuff that I hear Jeff talking about on his podcast and, and occasionally in it. person. <laughs> so I remember I remember sending you like a Marco Polo message of like give me books, and then I remember you sending me a Marco Polo back of you standing in front of your bookshelf. There's this one, and there, and you had you had the deep trove of uh, so much. And so I love I love that the story goes that. Sid experienced this and found the value of it and brought it home to you. And then you just went all in on the deep dive of all of the <laughs> theology and neurology books to get it. Yeah. Together. And I've been, you know, so now I read like this, uh, you know, the biblical story, you know, through a lot of this stuff. And I just find so much resonance, like go figure that like the ancient wisdom, you know, revealed in scripture aligns with a lot of what neuroscience is finding to be true about how our bodies function, our nervous systems, as well as our memory and and the social connections and, and all that. Um, it's yeah, it's really fascinating. And it's really great to partner with Sid too, because I I am more of the the researcher, you know. But she sure. is a coach and spiritual director, so she's applying this stuff. You know, she right. has her own training. It's not like she's just getting information. Right, right, right. She has you know her um, international coaching, whatever training with embodied. Uh, what is it? power of embodied transformation. So she, anyways, so, but we get to talk a lot, you know, so I'm more like the researcher. She's the practitioner. So that's, it's been a really fun partnership. Yeah. Mutual levels of intelligence, just different applications and explorations. <laughs> Let's put it that's that right. way. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if, if, if you were um, having, I don't know, if you were at a lunch table with somebody at a conference and, you know, a pastor and they're just talking about, man, I, I'm just struggling in my own, you know, walk or in my own faith, even as I'm leading this church. And you wanted to take five minutes over that meal to try to convince them or try to sway them towards, here's here's why you might want to consider, and of course, you might not say neurology, but like, what would what would be the message? What would be the pitch you would give them to say, here's something you might want to explore? Uh. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm always trying to figure out how what I do. I, I think I would say it roughly like how I introduced it is, you know, sure. is like we have emotional relational capacity and, and competencies. Uh, and we can function to a certain extent up to about a certain age, you know, by a lot of willpower, especially if we're men, right? A lot of willpower. Right. And, um, you know, gumption, we can kind of tell ourselves and then kind of clear the way in relationships to kind of make the world fit whatever mentality we're in. Um, but at some point, you know, that starts breaking down spiritually, relationally, uh, difficulties in ministry, difficulties in parenting or marriage, uh, or then just distance with God. You know, and so, that's, so that's where, you know, certainly prayer, spiritual formation activities are important. But then, you know, I would just start encouraging, you know, whoever this person was like, you know, by asking questions like, well, how do you connect with your emotions and your body? 
you know, sure. and I, you know, and I use like an attachment framework, you know, primarily for that. Mm-hmm. So there's secure attachment, insecure attachment, insecure attachment, generally, unless you're in a pathological kind of situation, you know, falls into two streams, you know, so the avoidant dismissive are kind of disconnected from their bodies and emotions. So if I had a sense that this person was maybe in that stream, I would push them toward, um, you know, asking questions about their body. And if, if they're more of what's called anxious or distracted, um, which means they're already hyper-focused on relationships. I'd, yeah. you know, I'd ask about practices of solitude or their boundaries. Um, how is it that they're alone? Uh, can they handle being alone? Um, and, and things like that. So, um, and then just, you know, say, Hey, there's, there's spiritual things you could do, but there's also practical things you probably just need to take care of, um, in your life. And, and those things work together. Yeah. I, I think one of the things I'm thinking about, even as you're talking is, you know, sometimes people ask me, how do I know when I need counseling versus spiritual direction or what's the difference between, you know, therapy and spiritual direction. And one of the things that I talk about in that is, you know, when somebody asks that question is I feel like in order to participate in spiritual direction, there has to be some baseline of health, like emotional health, relational health, that spiritual direction isn't going to be able to engage in you know, until you get to some kind of baseline. Mm. And that doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't even mean you have to be perfectly healthy, but I think there's some, you know, and so sometimes what I'll tell someone is, you know, you you, you might want to consider counseling or you might want to consider therapy if you're just finding that there's these patterns or there's these uh, disruptions that continue to happen to you that you can't get past. And then maybe something like therapy can help you. And then spiritual direction then can help you move from that baseline into a more, robust faith, a more fully formed faith, a more healthy faith. So, and I say that to say, I'm wondering if you would agree with that, because it almost seems like the way you're describing it, you have an experience or an awareness of a more, even more robust or more holistic expression of formation than I think I have, that even some of the work this is getting into a long question, Jeff. <laughs> I see your eyes going back and forth as I'm talking. <laughs> oh, no, I was just... <laughs> You're thinking, I know, I know. But um, I, I'm wondering if you would say that there's even, short of counseling, if you would say that there's even practices that someone can pursue um, that can even help get to some of that baseline level of faith beyond what I might recommend someone go to counseling for. Is there a question in there? I think there's a question in there. Well, the question I wonder if you understand the question. Something like, I think the, <laughs> the question I heard was, Jeff, should I be talking to your wife about these things? Um, that is not the question. <laughs> well, the reason why is because uh, so I would never s- talk someone out of going to counseling if they felt like that was their next Sure, question. sure, so, sure, sure. Certainly wouldn't. Um, but and And you can learn these skills that I'm about to kind of mention a little bit in counseling. So that's what it would be good for. So, but I think... What I heard you saying, like the baseline for spiritual direction would be something like, I guess the language of, of like neuroscience would be emotional regulation. Can there you, you regulate your body and your, um, your mind and your emotions, like the whole swirl? Can you bring it not into total equilibrium, but can you not be overwhelmed mm-hmm. by um, approaching memories that are harmful, that, you know, are traumatic or or just voices of shame that can cause you to shut down and not process anymore in a, like a spiritual direction, right? So those are practices of 
emotional regulation. So, yeah. so I do think that there is a baseline for that where sure. um, you're not just kind of running from your own self when you have thoughts or memories or ideas or if a spiritual director proposed something and then you just like, you know, right. So, and, and why it is you have those kind of un- dysregulating experiences is what um, therapy is good to help you kind of unwind that stuff. But you don't necessarily need th- therapy. You could just have practices like, oh, when I feel myself get dysregulated, I will take, you know, I will stand up. I will walk around the room three times. I will take seven, seven deep breaths and then I'll sit yeah. down again. Right. So n- therapy is good for figuring out maybe why you so often get dysregulated. But you could, there are just, you know, some not simple, but practices where you can just, oh, I like, I can calm down again. I can take some deep breaths or uh, I can just, you know, whatever, or gratitude practices, right? So, so not all of the solutions necessarily, you find them through therapists because they know all this stuff, right? Right, right. Uh, but, you know, so anyways, I don't know, does that make sense? So it does. So, so those are the things that, you know, I'm interested in um, that, how do you create church environments? Some of them call them like trauma responsive churches or trauma informed, right? How do we just create environments where it's safe to, to do that or it's okay yeah. to be like okay you know i just need to do my thing over here because i need to get grounded again and, okay great you know awesome yeah. do whatever you need if you need to stand in the corner so that you could pay attention if you need to knit you know we have people who bring knitting into church services i don't you know like great whatever it is that you need to regulate to help you regulate yourself um that's fantastic so that i guess that would be uh one of the things Sid is always, cause she's a spiritual director and a coach. She's not a therapist, you right. know, but she gets that question too. And so part of her work as a coach, cause she's trained in those practices is to just kind of offer people the skills to regulate themselves. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and that makes sense. I mean, I, I think really you got at the heart of the question, which is uh, what was the term you used again? Emotional regulation, right? Yeah. Which is a great term. And I think part of the heart of the question was, yeah, you, you might have enough disruption around emotional disruption that counseling is good. But there are also practices that you can learn and practices, spiritual practices, physical. I mean, it's probably not even helpful to label everything spiritual practices at this point. But there are practices that you can learn that can help you get to that baseline. Yeah. And what I've found is when you do like the physical relational practices – just before you expect to do a spiritual practice, it actually makes it a lot easier to do. <laughs> so, right. Uh, so right now I'm going through the extended, um, what is it? The 19th annotation of the yes, yes. exercises. I'm about 22 weeks in. And so I do like a joy place exercise or a gratitude exercise before I start trying to pray and listen to Jesus, which is just priming my mind and my body for, you know, a positive experience. Oh, uh, or a safe experience. I am safe because, you know, you go through your gratitude. Well, like I'm sleeping in a house. It has warmth. You know, I have heat. Mm-hmm. I've ate. You know, my children mostly love me and want to be around me. You know, <laughs> right? So, I, I'm just like, oh, like, my, and then that that tells your body, like, you're not under threats. Uh, you're currently, you could be relaxed, you know, and those, all those things make it easier then for me to, you know, commune with our creator and and to pray yeah. or stay focused. So yeah, those, those things definitely, uh, yeah, definitely go together. And I think, um, so yeah, what, when you said are the spiritual practices are the different, that's, 
they're kind of they're a little above the practices. Yeah, yeah the practices they go to. I, th- I think I think that Ignatius knew some stuff all those years ago. Because oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I feel like the the and I I feel like you know I did the same as you you know the year long spiritual exercises of Saint Ignatius and I feel like I just scratched the surface and wonder if I should return to them or return to some of the practices of it. But all that to say, you know, I feel like the value and the benefit of that, that I experienced was it taught me or helped me to see how I could better experience Jesus relationally and therefore in a way that finds relational health and encourage that, you know, the whole idea of just Jesus being your friend in the everyday is pretty darn significant for what can come out of the spiritual exercises. And I think it just touches on everything you're talking about, you know, like what does it mean to invite, what does it mean to experience Jesus firsthand through imaginative prayer? But also what does it mean to experience Jesus in and out of every moment of my life, you know, and have a friendship with Jesus through that. So well, I'm still working yeah. on that part. I'm not done though. So maybe you, yeah. maybe you no, mastered I, that Jesus. I finished. And I'm, I, like I say, I just scratched the surface on that. It more, more, it gave me an awareness and opened my eyes to it that, you know, I'm continuing to try to explore, but yeah. so, uh, all right. So all that's like, I, I know we've just scratched the surface. I know that you've probably read 10,000 pages worth of this kind of stuff, at least <laughs> See maybe the maybe just 5,000, <laughs> but um, right. But, you know, so I would be curious then because, like, really the heart of this podcast is learning from people and learning from their own rhythms. And, you know, I think I think the stuff you've been learning and exploring, it's becoming more common. But I also think it's, you know, unique enough that I wanted to spend some time just kind of, there's that baseline word again, talking about the things you've been learning. But mm-hmm. I'd love to hear then, how has this shaped your own practices? Like, what are your... What are your life practices? What are your rhythms look like in a way that tries to incorporate some of the things you've been learning? Well, you know, I could be a little more aspirational than actual practical. Um, so I, I value all these practices a lot more because I understand how they like work in the body and the mind. That doesn't necessarily mean I always follow sure. through with them. Sure. But um, I think. Um, I'm trying to do the daily examine a lot more. So the examine yeah. is a reflective practice where you go through your day and you, you th- think through your day uh, where you felt and people talk about it differently, but like where you felt close to God or far from mm-hmm. God or where, you know, were there obstacles and where was, um, where, where was it like flow or, you know? And so, and for me, that is, that's good because I'm like very much of a goer kind of, person so i'm constantly moving um that doesn't mean i don't rest but i don't think but i don't necessarily reflect like all my mm, life yeah. that much so right, right. uh and, and I, over the last year i just started going to a spiritual director once a month which was just so painful because for that exact reason you know uh I'm you more than, stop yeah i have to stop <laughs> and then i have to talk about myself um <laughs> which i find enough motivation to do when it's like with my kids or my wife or real essential relationships, sure. I can like really get up the energy and share myself. But it's like once a month, you know, this great person, 
is just asking me about life. And it's like, I have to do, you know, so that's been, so that it's that reflective piece. So spiritual direction, as well as um, the examine have been uh, difficult for me to really get into. So that's more somewhat aspirational. Um, I think, um, you know, I've kind of had morning rhythms of, of prayer and scripture study um, sure. and, and scripture study is usually my preference because that engages the mind sure. in ways that I like <laughs> yeah. um, rather than prayer, which is kind of, you know, the either listening or not feeling productive or so that that's a, one of those inner rhythms that I'm still working on. Uh, the imaginative prayer has been interesting because, so I'm in the, you know, I'm going through and you're supposed to do imaginative prayer in the, the exercises by kind of like using your five senses and kind of yeah. placing yourself in the scene. Yeah. Um, and I found that that was hard for me and the one trick, so I'll just offer this to the people who struggle with that kind of prayer. Uh, you know, so everyone, I, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, I, I think I would say if it's more of an avoidant kind of, um, situation for those who yeah. are more disconnected from their emotions and their imaginations and their bodies. I think that is, and they don't regularly kind of, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't like my wife is more on the other end. You know, she's hmm. very vibrant in her relationships and her emotions, Yeah, journals and dialogical, you know, conversations sure. with Jesus that go on for pages. And it's just like, I'll have a prayer conversation with Jesus. It's like three sentences and I feel great. And I'm pretty sure he feels great about it. And we're done. <laughs> you know. So anyways, the tip was, I would just kind of imagine. So like, uh, if we just picked a scene, like the angels visiting the shepherds and the shepherds going to the manger, you know, to see what was yeah. told them. Right. You know, and I'm like trying to, I don't know, imagine myself as a shepherd and just kind of wait for some really cool imaginings to happen. And I wouldn't really get anything. Uh, and then I, I just had this, like, I don't know what, maybe a Holy spirit insight. And I just started talking to myself like narrating the scene, hmm. like, oh, now there's a bunch of bright lights and they look like angels in the sky. And now we're walking on a dark road and you can't really see. It's like those night hikes when you're at like science camp, you know, or the, or when your camp counselors turn out the lights and take you out like, oh, okay. And I was just like, I started talking to myself, narrating yeah. the thing. And it actually became much more vibrant. Like there was this like big breakthrough where it was like, oh, I'm now I'm paying attention. Like I'm not getting distracted by my to-do list as I wait for something to happen in this imagination land. So it kind of yeah. kept my brain focused on the task at hand. Uh, and I don't know if that's an ADHD thing, which I have, uh, or if it's, uh, or what. So, but anyways, it's, it's one of those things that now I'm practiced. So it's kind of like the practice within the practice. Uh, so that's kind of how I've been able to kind of hack the imaginative prayer practice with something that at least works for me as, you know, an ADHD no, I think that's, to-do list person. So I think that's great. I mean, I, I think one of the things I always hope for in this podcast is learn. It, I, I don't feel like I had many teachers when it comes to, spiritual practices, even though I was in some really vibrant and healthy environments, you know, when I was a pastor, I don't feel like I had many teachers when it came to this. And I don't feel like there are. So even just having conversations about, you know, even if they're practical tips like that of like, I really want to explore imaginative prayer, but I'm really struggling. Like everybody, 
you know, I did the exercises in a group and we all struggled with the meditative prayer. I felt like it worked best for me um, hearing them talk. And I felt like I had about one in four days, you know, was like this really meaningful imaginative prayer, which, you know, that would get me to major league baseball batting 250. So there you go. That's right. <laughs> but, but hearing it, hearing a tip like that, that's it. I feel like, I don't know, you called it a hack, but that feels like a great little tip of, because it engages you into the prayer more than rather than just trying to close your eyes and picture it to actually do the work of putting words to it as you go. It seems really helpful to me. Well, I can give you another practice within the practice, but this is just, I'm like, I'm, I might be ruining things for all I know, <laughs> but like when I pray in the morning again, because I get distracted is I actually pray with my journal and my, um, yeah. like a prayer journal, but then also my, like, um, I don't know what you call this, my to-do list work journal book. I have like a paper and pencil, like yeah. productivity, a planner. There we go. That's what it's called. Right. So my day planner and I actually have them both and I have my day planner out just so that if I'm like, oh, I need to do that. I just write it down so yeah. that I can forget it. I just immediately write things down so that then I can get back to like the prayer or the scripture reading or whatever. Because if I don't do that, then there's still part of me that's like, you're going to forget or, or I just start thinking like about it. I just start planning sure. the rest of my day. Like I, I get you know, it. But if I just write it down. So anyways, that's probably a practice a lot of people have discovered, but I, I just kind of, I have my day planner and my journal together. Yeah. And I think and the I've real hardcore found- spiritual directors are like, you shouldn't do that. You should learn to discipline your mind. And I'm like, I someday maybe, but yeah, <laughs> see I- what I do for now. <laughs> From an Ignatian perspective, though, I would even argue that, like, you could spend time, rather than just being able to write it down and move on, you could also potentially just spend time talking to Jesus about that thing and why it's important to you, oh, you know. Well, and That would be a great option, but I'm usually just like, oh, yeah, I got to do that. And that means I have to, you know, if I sure. spend any time on my to-do list, then I'm just doing the work and I'm no longer talking to Jesus about the work. Right. That would be great. I'm just saying that, yeah, you know, I think there's... I think even the thing you're writing down, there's some level of sacredness to it too that could be explored. That might not be what you need to do in that moment, but there's space for that. So, yeah. Um, what is your what is your scripture reading look like? Do you do you follow some kind of methodology or oh, format it's great for that? now? Because it's whatever my spiritual director gives me. Sure, I don't even sure. have to think about it. I'm doing those exercises. Someone else right. figured it all out. <laughs> but when I'm not what doing exercises, I have gone more. I go in and out of like the. Um, like lectionary kind of readings. I have a couple of books. So yeah. It's just like find the dates, open it up, read it. Um, yeah. Like, but it, there are, it's following the lectionaries and things like that. So I, I usually try to minimize that. And then sometimes I'll be like, oh, I just want to read a, a book from the Bible and just kind of go through a, usually it's a gospel. I'll just kind of go through a gospel for a while. Yeah. And then I'll go back to the scripted, like lectionary yeah. stuff. Yeah. And is it, I mean, is, for you, is that like, is there some element of lectio to that or is it reading for, you know, reminding yourself of who Jesus was and, and read us like, what, what is, what do you hope to gain out of that other than just well, your own? Now, after having gone through an extensive, like imaginative prayer, I think I'll probably do more of that. Yeah. Uh, before it was more of just like study and, you know, like intellectual study primarily. Yeah. Um, and then some prayer that comes out of that, whatever I was kind of reading in the day. Yeah. And uh, you talked about examine. Do you try to do that in the evening or the afternoon? I try to do it in the evening. Yeah. 
I'd like to do it in the afternoon, but that has not managed to stick yet. <laughs> I, I had them when I did the exercises, you know, obviously exam and they were encouraging us to do it twice a day. And I probably did my worst with the exam and when I was in the midst of the exercises, then I had a, I had a fairly meaningful prayer of examine before and a fairly meaningful, but I think it's because I typically try to do examine in the morning. I feel like I just have better attentiveness to it in the morning and there wasn't really space in the morning to do it during the exercises. Yeah. So, well, what, what else? I mean, you, you've talked about, you know, that morning routine. Are, are there other practices again, like these might be deep spiritual practices, but w- what other practices do you sustain to have a healthy rhythm of life? Well, so I don't have real definitive practices of rest, which has been, my wife's always wanted like, let's have a whole day. And the reason why is not because I don't rest. Um, I think maybe, or I'm just, you know, self-justifying, but it's because when I was a teenager, I had a really bad back injury. Hmm. Um, and so I learned the limits of my body pretty early in my life. And, um, in college, I kind of figured out that if I didn't sleep enough, I would get sick. Um, like always, like it was just like three days with less than six hours of sleep, you're sick. Um, and so by like age 20, uh, partly against my will, uh, I was understanding that my body has physical limits, um, that choices have consequences. Yeah. (laughs) And, and so, and I work pretty hard, um, but I also kind of rest, like I'll kind of just get to a limit. And I'll be like, oh, I'm done, um, which I learned pretty soon in life, like I said. So I don't have like a definitive, like this is where I rest, but I just like I work, but then I can tell like I need I need to stop. And so my stopping usually looks like while reading, right? So, the, so at the beginning of our marriage, my wife couldn't tell when I was resting or working because it looked exactly the same. I'm in a chair <laughs> reading a book or working yeah. on a paper or doing something academic, right? She's like, are you working? I was like, no, this is like my, this is my resting book. The other book is like my schoolwork <laughs> or, you know, yeah. something for church or so it's a little, that's, I mean, not now we've been married for uh, 22 years, but um, you know, early on she couldn't tell. And then if she thought I was working, then she felt like she needed to work like something like I, like whatever she, you know, so there was this weird kind of thing. So yeah, reading books, I kind of just were like, I just need to stop. Uh, I also play guitar. I have electric guitar. I just ordered a new electric guitar fuzz pedal, which I'm pretty excited about for my birthday. So that's coming. So I tinker around on my guitar. That was also a really interesting. So I, I said that I got injured my back injury and I learned how to play guitar when I was 16. Um, mostly because of the back injury, I needed something to do. I was more athletic before that. And, um, and the people teaching me guitar, the youth leaders, uh, they would play like the honky tonk blues. And so I'd learned like the pentatonic blues scales and stuff. It was so, this is in Northern California. You learned the honky tonk blues. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. So, um, it wasn't until I was probably like 27 or older that I had this like realization. So this goes back to emotional regulation too and resting. I would find that I was playing the blues on my guitar. And I think my wife figured this out before I did. And I figured out while playing the guitar, I'd be like, 
I think I'm sad about something because hmm. I'm playing the blues in a minor yeah. key. And it was kind of like my body had figured out a practice to relieve emotional or to engage emotional sadness before my brain even did. And yeah. so like God through these people gave me this practice of like just playing the blues and kind of like a sad, slow kind of guitar riff or whatever. And I just pick up my, you know, if I felt overwhelmed or sad or confused about something after the fact, you know, but before that, I would just kind of like, oh, I, didn't, I need to check out. I pick up my guitar. I go somewhere by myself and I just play this like lonely blues. And it was like when I was 27, I was like, oh, I do that every time I'm sad. Hmm. <laughs> it was after. The, so I was, I was engaging in music therapy. So that was another practice. So I had yeah. music therapy. So I'd still do that musically, but also just playing guitar loud black keys distortion you know rock yeah. so is one of my and then i uh another good practice uh physically is until i just broke my collarbone a minor injury but uh ouch that's not minor that hurts i've done yeah, that well no it's a, it's a minor brick though it's just on the side so gotcha. i have been able to do this but i usually i've been going rock climbing with my son so that was like my yeah. physical kind of like activity as well as yeah so that's been a lot of fun. So those are some of my, I guess, hobbies or resting uh, practices. And and I, you know, I play yard games when it, yeah. this, the weather's good. So you give me some cornhole or disc golf or ultimate frisbee. I'm, I'm a big fan. So, I mean, you talked about sleep and I'm curious in so much of the neurotheology reading that you've done, the neurology reading, like how much, how much has sleep been part of, you know, is sleep a common topic in some of the neurology books and as far as oh, brain no, health? That's and, a really good question. So I have not gone down. I'm sure there's tons, but the whole like breathing and sleep and like the neural, yeah. I haven't really gone down those rabbit holes. I'm much more in the, uh, the relational kind of aspects of, you know, and implicit memories and attachment, you know, strategies or styles or all so th that's all the stuff i'm really interested in so like the full sid would know a little bit more about that uh so i think part of it is that hasn't really been a research edge for me partly because i think i already learned that lesson i mostly research right. things that right. i have to like put into practice relationally <laughs> yeah like oh i need to you know be more empathetic let me research that for a while and then start practicing so and i think the sleep thing i had somehow you know managed to at least not be totally out of control. So I haven't really gone down that rabbit hole outside of knowing that it's really good for you and your brain does amazing things when you're sleeping. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I remember reading a few years ago, a book by uh, Matthew Walker, I think it was on sleep and I've taken sleep really seriously since then, but I just wondered how much that even just gets mentioned in the other stuff you're reading. So not much, so, actually. Not not yeah. because it's not out there. It's just not the circles that I've been right getting into. Yeah, and and it's a little surprising to me just because there's the not that you're not, but just that it's not that it doesn't just keep coming up because, like you mentioned, like so much happens in our brain when we have good sleep. So much healthy stuff happens in our brain when we have good sleep. So yeah. I think since the invention of the indoor light bulb, we've been running a sleep deprivation experiment yes. on all of humanity. And it's yes. probably not going to turn out well. <laughs> I think you're right. I do. Um, so you already started to talk about this a little bit with guitar, but how do you know when you're not doing well? Playing the blues apparently is one example, but as you've become more aware of your body, like what are other cues? 
Um, I think I get irritable. Yeah. Uh, everybody answers that one. Yeah. That yeah, way. So that's like, a good, good that's a that's a lesson for all of us to learn. Yeah. Pretty much everybody says, I get irritable. I get irritable. <laughs> and then uh and then I want to get a book and go away or watch a zombie show. I'm a big post apocalyptic, you know, something like, you know, I just check out. Um, so that's the less healthy, you know, step away. Uh, otherwise it'd be engaged people more relationally. So, um, let, let me clarify that <laughs> you like, I mean, there is a time when you're not doing well to step away, right? Like you say, but do you feel like stepping away to a book or stepping away to a post apocalyptic, uh, zombie show is a wise move for you to make? Cause you know, sometimes you just need to disengage and you need space. Or are you saying, that's a place you go that's not necessarily a healthy place for you to go. Um, no, I think usually as, as a short-term means, I think yeah. that's fine. Right. I think for as a long-term solution to avoid pain, not that's not good, right? But as far right. as just like, a, oh, I just, like, I'm pretty depleted. I need a little alone time. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, I've gotten a lot better at just, being aware of my own emotions and then sharing those with people quicker. So I don't think things get as bottled up. I think last year, um, let's see, right about this time, about 12 months ago, we had a lot of things going on in our lives. Our, uh, you know, we were planning a giant missions trip. My, um, you know, my wife had been asked to, to consider a job. And so that yeah. was meaning we might relocate. And then my mom was declining and then passed away about a year ago. So there was just lots of levels, multiple stressors, relational, professional, spiritual. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I was not doing that well like a year ago for maybe two months, you know. And there was, you know, and then, you know, I kind of adjusted some of my work. You know, Sid did a couple other things. I was just kind of getting buried by administrative stuff, which makes me more anxious. You know, so yeah, so I had to I kind of shift around some of my kind of like work responsibilities and kind of other things, and then just take a little, you know, take a little time off, just give myself a little yeah. grace, be compassionate toward myself. You know, I, I think that's been part of the the growth of the the neuroscience too. Is is um, how could you have com like learning compassion for yourself? Um, like if you, if I stumbled across you, John, you know, and you seemed really stressed out uh, and needed help or needed to talk about, it, I would have a lot of compassion for you. I wouldn't judge you. I wouldn't tell you to shut up and, you know, sure. just suck it up. Right. So it's like, well, why can't I have that same compassion for myself? So yeah. I think I can now. I think, I don't know, before. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I would imagine that there's a pretty direct correlation between being healthy people and being able to have self-compassion seems like that's probably pretty critical. <laughs> and I know that the people who I perceive to not be very healthy people don't seem to have very much self-compassion or compassion for others, maybe because they don't have it for themselves. Right. Well, and I think, I think basically everybody, so the, it seems like all the psychological findings are saying that, that opposed to self-esteem uh, which, you know, is your sense of 
standing amongst others or a comparison to others or your sense of accomplishment yeah. um, or however you want to define self-esteem. People are saying pursuing self-esteem or bolstering self-esteem actually just <laughs> creates more like full-on narcissists in our society <laughs> uh, who do real harm, but actually training people to have compassion for themselves and for others, you know, there's kind of like no like loss about that. So, yeah. Uh, and people are generally happier, happier when, you know, they can treat themselves kindly, even in the midst of having blown it. Um, and then they can share that kindness to others. Um, but the seeking of self-esteem is not. So anyway, that's my, that's one of my little side projects. Let's just yeah. stop talking about self-esteem. Cause that's yeah. not helping. So, and I say that as someone who grew up in California during the self-esteem movement. So I got doses of self-esteem. <laughs> I feel great about myself. Right. So who, um, uh, this question, I love the different kinds of answers I get for it. Who do you hope to be in 10 years? Oh yeah. Yeah. I saw you, you sent me that question. I was like, I'm not answering that. He better <laughs> like <laughs> who, I mean, who do I hope to be in 10 years? Um, you know, this sounds so dumb, but like, I don't know, more like Jesus. <laughs> like that's, a, that's been, those are like my only goals, you know, right now is like, if I, and for me specifically, that would mean being more integrated in my emotions. Um, and, um, yeah, I guess in 10 years, I hope to be a, a young and fun grandfather. <laughs> so mm, I have a, yeah. Almost 20 year old who's getting married soon and, uh, you know, we'll have grandkids. So, but as far as, so yeah, so that's, that's who I hope to be in, in 10 years. Yeah. Well, Jeff, this was, I know this that was sounded every, very like, you know, I don't know how that sounded. It sounded kind of dumb coming out of my mouth, but I don't think so. Question, well, so. I mean, no, I, I mean, I appreciate that you elaborated, you know, even briefly, but to say, to be more like Jesus, but then elaborate on what that looks like, I think is really helpful. And um, yeah, I appreciate that. The, uh, this this conversation was exactly what I hoped it would be. And um, it only scratches the surface. And I'll tell you, you know, you, you mentioned already your podcast, which I would listen to your podcast. If I found your podcast, I would gladly have listened to your podcast, even if I didn't know you. I'm thankful that I found your podcast because I know you. Um, but I, I love the conversations you're having there. And I think, they're, I think they're unique conversations that I don't feel like I'm really hearing many other places. So, I'm glad you're having them. And I, I think part of my hope having you on is to help other people find your podcast. So Sweet. Yeah. Where, where can people find that again? It's uh, the Embodied Faith podcast. You can find that on Spotify. Um, Apple, Google, all places. the places. Just go to Embodied Faith. Look up Embodied Faith. Oh, I think it might be the second or third one, but yeah, it's like the only podcast with that name. Right. Yeah. We're and I'm trying just to think, work on a website, but it's not up yet. Otherwise, I would have told you. Yeah. Well, and you said earlier, you know, you might be familiar with all these other people when you mentioned Jim Wilder. And no, like I've been introduced to a whole lot of people and read a handful of books because I heard about them on your podcast. Oh, so, there we go. Well, I'm thinking the quickest way is uh, search my name. So I'm I'm very yes. searchable on the interwebs. There's no other Jeff Holsclaws with a G. So if you do Holsclaw and Embody Faith, you'll go right to it. Boom. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. It was really, really great to have you on and and just hear about these things you've been learning and putting into practice. Yeah, it was great to be with you.